Welcome to another edition of our Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Along with Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon, I'm Kevin Ingram. Uh, it is the offseason for college basketball, but there is lots and lots to talk about. Chris, what's going on? Well, you know, you're right. It is the offseason, but there's never really an offseason for college hoops. I learned that when I started editing Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook. There's always recruiting, coaching changes, uh, scheduling, it lasts pretty much year round and, and I get started. I'm actually already in the process of, of our next edition, the 41st of blue ribbon, just kind of seeing how everything shakes out. Sure. There, there's a lot of changes. Uh, uh, this is a minor one, but the, the whack is adding football and it looked for a while. there like the whack was going to be extinct. And now they've raided the Southland for some football schools and they're going at it big time. So you always have to keep track of stuff like that. And there really isn't an off season in, in big time college hoops or in, well, division one college. Sure. Hoops, let's put it that way. Yeah. And, uh, and this, this year for what you do might be the craziest ever with everything going on with the, all the transfers and coaching changes and everything else. It, it might be all, all the way up to the end, even more than, than you normally are just trying to get the book done and put it out. Uh, our, our friend of the show, Joe Lenardi, not only has his own book out, he has his first bracket in place for 21-22. Gonzaga's the top overall seed after they, of course, came up just short of going undefeated and, and winning the national championship. They've lost personnel. They've added personnel. The SEC, I was looking through there, Chris, uh, Southeastern Conference looks pretty good. Alabama got a one, Arkansas a three, Tennessee a four, Kentucky a five seed, Auburn eight, Mississippi State nine, and Florida ten. So I, I would think uh, those schools might take that and, and not even play the season if that was the case. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing how how Joe is so in tune. You'd, you'd think he's just a, a bracket wonk, but he's, he's obviously – has to be in tune to personnel. Uh, and, for example, uh, Mississippi State, he, he's got in the tournament. He knows that they've already gotten Garrison Brooks, the North Carolina transfer, whose father, George, is on the staff at Mississippi State. And just a couple of days ago, they got D.J. Jeffries, the transfer from, from Memphis. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so Joe is looking at personnel and, and trends and – you know, it's, he acknowledges, like everybody else that does these uh, way too early top 25s, that, that it's way too early. <laughs> but uh, it's amazing the respect that Gonzaga has, despite the loss of personnel year after year. They keep adding and reloading, and I don't think they're done yet. I don't know how many scholarships they have left, but they just got Chet Holmgren, the number one player in the country. Right. I've heard him referred to as a unicorn a seven footer that can do it all shoot threes, initiate offense. They've also got Hunter Salas, the number one point guard in the country coming in. And, and I, I'll swear they're, they're going to get somebody else. I noticed um, CJ Frederick from Iowa, put his name in the portal. He's a perfect Gonzaga player and a flamethrower from three. I think he's a career 45% three shooter and they need somebody now that Corey Kispert has, has gone on to the NBA. And I would, I would, I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I, I would bet a substantial amount that, that Frederick, the Iowa transfer, ends up at, in Gonzaga, at Gonzaga. Huh. What else stands out about some of the things you've seen, uh, whether players entering the portal or where some of, uh, some of the guys have landed? Well, there's a lot of active schools uh, by necessity. You know, Chris Beard at Texas has made some astute hires, our, our, 
hires, uh, made it some astute acquisitions. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, Timmy Allen, the Utah transfer, was a good one. He got another kid from Creighton, which was a good transfer uh, transfer to get. I think uh, Porter Moser at Oklahoma has reload uh, reloaded. He lost Brady Manick in the portal to North Carolina, but he gained the big kid from Eastern Washington, who's a player. So, uh, uh, you know, it, it's interesting the the, the movements. Uh, just yesterday, Memphis uh, announced five uh, additions after several people from Memphis after they'd won the NIT, got into sure. the portal. So, it's crazy. And then there's some schools where that so far have just gotten one or two, but like uh, Vanderbilt gets the big kid from Minnesota, Liam Robbins. Uh, and, and they have not had, and, and you would know this better than me, now being the voice of the doors, they have not had really a big man uh, who they can throw the ball down to or who can guard the, the basket or, you know, maybe do both at the same, you know, ha- has those skills in several years. So that was a key acquisition. Uh, uh, Arizona, which just hired Tommy Lloyd off the Gonzaga staff, got Omar Balo from Gonzaga, a big seven-foot kid from Africa who didn't play a lick uh, for Gonzaga as they trimmed down their rotation, but he's good. So, yeah, uh, yeah so there's some that are wearing out the portal, and there's some that are using it, you know, uh, sparingly. Uh, Tennessee is another. They, they took Justin Powell, the Auburn transfer, and – Rick Barnes and I were talking and he said, I, you know, I really need to find rim protection and shooting. And, and, and he got Justin Powell, who's a 44% three shooter in, in the limited action. He played for Auburn before he got a concussion. So, you know, I, I think that the, the smart coaches, Arkansas, again, Eric Musselman has signed three transfers and they all, they always seem to fit in. He was a portal, uh, uh, Meister before that was cool. You know, uh, he, he uh, has always dealt in transfers and, and made it work. So it's interesting. I, I, one of my favorite websites is verbalcommits.com. I'll give them a shout out right here. Unsolicited. Uh, I, I look at that several times a day because they, they must have, they've got eyes out there because they, uh, they are always on it when, when transfers are, our recruits uh, announce. And then there have been a bunch of coaching changes, too, since we uh, did our last podcast. You mentioned Porter Moser going from Loyola Chicago to Oklahoma, Tommy Lloyd to Arizona replacing Sean Miller, Mike Woodson to Indiana replacing Archie Miller, Kim, Kim English uh, left the Tennessee staff for George Mason. Uh, Rick Barnes had a couple guys to replace there. Shaka Smart goes from Texas to Marquette. Chris Beard goes from Tack over to Texas. Uh, Wes Miller to Cincinnati replacing John Brannon in a situation that kind of looks like a mess with his departure. And uh, Mike Jones leaving Radford for UNC Greensboro. That one just happened in the last couple of days. So just like the transfer portal, the, uh, the coaching carousel has been uh, up and running too. And it's just been interesting to see where uh, some of these guys have landed and, you know, just some – some moves that uh, you, you might not have, have have expected to me. Shaka Smart going from Texas to Marquette. You know, for him, I, I guess it seems like it makes sense. But Chris Beard, who uh, had the good thing going out there at Texas Tech, returns to Texas, which is uh, of course uh, uh, closer to home for him. And uh, and Wes Miller, I think everybody, if you look at it, maybe not a big name hire by Cincinnati, but I think if people who know basketball know that, that's a pretty good one. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that the Chris Beard, I, I think to Texas was 
the best hire of the offseason so far. He's a winner. Uh, he's one of those guys that he played at Texas, so he has strong pedigree, mm-hmm. but he worked his way up through junior college and D2 and uh, one year at Little Rock. They won 30 games after they'd only won 13 the year before. And then he's, we all know what he's done at Texas Tech. Uh, he hired Chris Ogden, who was the UT Arlington coach and, and a teammate of his at Texas, former Rick Barnes assistant. Uh, so that was a good move. And and like I said, he's taking advantage of the portal. I think Tommy Lloyd to Arizona off the Gonzaga staff, um, a critic might say Arizona deserved to hire an existing head coach. I say if you're on, on Mark Few's staff for that long, uh, you're bound to have you, – you, first of all, you got to do it the right way. you got to be a class act, and you have had to have learned something. Sure. So I think that was a good hire. And you're right about Wes Miller. People don't understand that that he was in serious consideration uh, to replace Roy Williams at North Carolina. And obviously Hubert Davis was on staff. And I think Roy might have talked Hubert out of television uh, in the hopes that one day he could become his successor. Sure. But Wes Miller was right there. And, uh, you know, just reading – and I, I don't do this habitually because it's it's not a smart thing, but just looking at the message boards and the grousing of the Cincinnati fans, they weren't too thrilled about it. But Wes did a good job at UNC Greensboro, and he does something that's unusual. He, he zoned uh, full-court zone presses, and that's a tough tough nut to crack, especially in, in short prep like the NCAA tournament. So right. I think he'll do a good job there. Uh, I thought John Brandon would – it shocked me, and I still I don't think the everything's come out, you know, why he got fired. But there was obviously some improprieties in the program, and they felt like they had to move on quickly. And I think they made a a, a good hire with Wes Miller. A couple other uh, player notes. Just this morning, Georgia point guard Severe Wheeler announced he's going to enter the transfer portal and also declare for the NBA draft. He was second-team All-SEC last year, averaged 13 points and seven assists. He was a, a tough guy to keep in front of you. A.J. Lawson from South Carolina is leaving and signing with an agent. Uh, I, I did Vanderbilt's baseball series at Tennessee over the weekend. I saw John Fulkerson step out there on the mound and uh, throw out a first pitch. I uh, said he's coming back for another year, and, and just this morning he's been explaining uh, some things about his past season. They said he had had COVID, and that really affected uh, how he played this year. And, uh, of course, uh, took that elbow in the SEC tournament and uh, was talking about how you know maybe he, he might have still been coming back even before that happened, but uh, he'll be back for another season with Rick Barnes at Tennessee. So uh, lots of things to keep in, uh, keep track of in terms of player and coach movement. It's interesting too, Chris, to see these guys who are on like their third or fourth team. I saw a note about a guy named Charlie Moore who is transferring from DePaul to Miami. On his fourth school, he had played and been a starter at Cal. He played a little bit at Kansas. He went from uh, there to DePaul and uh, now going to head down to Miami. So uh, he's hit pretty much every corner uh, of the United States for his college basketball career. But there, there are lots of stories out there like that of guys who've had multiple oh, yeah. stops. Yeah, that's why Dick Vitale has his all Marco Polo team. <laughs> uh, and you know what? I don't have a problem with that if, if a guy is searching. Uh, but what I would say is do your homework early on. And, and make sure you're a fit for the coach and the program. And now it's not their fault if a coach leaves or gets fired. And that's why I think the NCAA finally decided uh, to give you the one-time freebie transfer rule in, in the five sports that they didn't already. Yeah, uh, It was kind of crazy that they did it for 19 sports. 
I guess because they were non-rev, I don't know, but uh, they didn't do it for five sports. And now uh, that that's going to happen. And I think it's, it's only fair. So you, you're going to see some wanderers. There's no question. You're going to see some guys that started at Juco and then maybe went to three D ones until they found the right fit or, but like you mentioned, severe Wheeler, that, that kind of surprised me. Uh, his comments, the Georgia point guard, he was looking for a program that fit him. And, you know, Tom Crean wanted to play up tempo and, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know why that didn't fit him, but somebody will snap him up in, in a hurry because he's not going to get drafted. Uh, he'll, he'll enter the process and, and maybe, uh, you know, be told, Hey, look at five, seven, uh, you're going to have to do a lot of things. Great. Uh, I mean, it's not beyond the realm. Remember Mr. Jennings at East Tennessee state yep. several years ago, he was five, six or so. And he played a few years in the NBA just cause he was smart. And he was a heck of a three point shooter. Uh, so um, good passer too. And just a great, great guy. Uh, so it's not beyond the realm, but yeah, a guy like Wheeler, he'll get snapped up. And again, it would not surprise me to, to see, Gonzaga take a kid like that, even though they got Hunter Salas. Uh, Gonzaga has done a great job of recruiting uh, top caliber high school talent, but really supplementing it with great transfers. And this was really before the portal was a thing and and before 1,300 or 1,400, how many ever are in there now, started Mm -hmm. putting their names in the hat. Gonzaga just finds guys that fit, and people want to go there. I mean, it's it's long ago transcended a mid-major. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. It's a joke to even that, – that whole league. I mean, the West Coast Conference is one of the most underrated, even with Gonzaga in it. People don't realize that it's – you know, BYU is there, St. Mary's is there, Santa Clara. It's, it's, a, it's quite a it's, – it's, it's, a, it's a great league. And, and if anybody knocks Gonzaga's schedule because of that, they don't know what they're talking about. Chris, our guest for this week has arrived. He is ESPN analyst Paul Biancardi, who is an expert on recruiting and I'm sure on transfer portaling and all those sorts of things. Paul, what's going on? Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I don't think there's an expert out there on the portal. <laughs> I just like I like that, how that is true. I like how portaling is used as a, a verb now. That that makes me laugh. I heard yeah. somebody say that. I, the I, I think it could be a Marvel Universe uh, character, the portal master. <laughs> there you go. But. Uh, I say this every time Paul comes on, but I respect uh, him as, as, a, as a recruiting a- analyst as much as anybody that's working today because he was a coach and because he worked so hard at the art. And it is an art of recruiting. And now he's carried that over into his preparation for – and he's been versatile. You know, he calls games. He writes pieces. He, he analyzes recruits and ranks them. So here's the big one, buddy. Uh, right. I looked at looked our our colleague Joe Lenardi has already got his first bracketology, <laughs> and all these way too early top twenty fives already have Gonzaga number one, and that's a testament to the program, obviously. But tell us about a guy that I saw referred to as a unicorn, Chet Holmgren, and then after that Hunter Salas, the the, the the number one point guard, both of whom are going to Gonzaga next year. Yeah, he made his decision yesterday on SportsCenter, Chet Holmgren. I mean, he's different, Chris, than anything I've seen in a long, long time. And I don't 
use the term number one draft pick or unicorn lightly. Yeah. Uh, because I've been around for a long time and I've seen the great ones come through and I've seen great ones not make it. Uh, he still has a lot of work to do, but for the high school game and the college game, he's certainly different. He is a unicorn type. He's seven one with a seven five wingspan. So right out of the gate, you know, he brings things that are freakishly, uh, you know, uncommon in terms of measurables. Sure. He plays with a chip. Like you would look at him and say, well, you know, if you hit him, he'll probably break in two. No, he, he'll hit you back. He, he's not afraid of contact. And usually when you see thin guys that are tall, people say, you know, they're not physical. Right. He's just not, he's just not strong yet. And yeah. it may take him two to three years to get strong, extremely skilled, skilled, like a small forward, like a shooting guard in terms of the jump shot. It's pure. It's natural. It's been worked on since he was a little kid. So shooting the ball comes easy to Chet Holmgren, and he's not afraid to shoot it. So he can open up the floor because if you put a big center on him that's kind of slow and plodding, if he doesn't get out there, he's going to knock it down. So if you put a 6-6 guy on him to get out on the shot, then Chet's going to go to the elbow. He's going to go to the mid post. He'll score over you at length and touch. Now, he's not a sit-down, post-you-up guy. He's got to work on that. He's got to work on balance and gaining strength. Those are the two biggest things he's got to learn. Um, world-class shot blocker. I mean, on his man, comes over from the weak side, the chase-down block, can get out on three-point shooters and block it. And I'm telling you, if you see him coming at you, he's going to change the way you approach your shot, which will alter it, which will help Gonzaga's field goal percentage defense uh, immeasurably next year. You know, Jalen Suggs was a dynamic scoring point guard. I knew that coming out of high school. Chet's different. He's going to impact the game, you know, from the front court. He'll be a game changer defensively, blocking shots. And uh, he rebounds pretty well, too. His versatility is just absolutely endless. So I'm excited to see him, you know, at Gonzaga, where Mark Few likes to take the pieces that he has and kind of tweak it. And, and he'll he'll arrange the offense to work around and through Chet. Really good passer, too. Th- sure. This kid can really play high IQ, skilled, plays with a chip. I, I like him to Chris Tapp's Porzingis. Wow. Wow. And then Hunter Salas, how does he compare to Suggs, and will they miss a beat with him at the point? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Suggs had a mentality that, I mean, Chet works hard. Chet's a tough kid. Suggs is a different level. Suggs is a leader. Suggs yeah. walked onto campus as a freshman as a leader. Right. You know, he was a, he was a quarterback uh, on the football team his whole life, and he was a high-level quarterback. Um, he loves to lead. He loves to take charge. He loves to win. He's the ultimate competitor. And then he has great vision and, and tremendous passing accuracy. Yeah. Also, also can make the three-point shot. He can make the pull-up. When he gets to the rim, Suggs can really do it all. And he defends. Right. Salas is a pure combo guard in my mind. I don't see him as a point. Maybe Gonzaga will play him there because I can see it because he can really pass. And I don't see him as a pure two. So, in my mind, I call those guys combo guards, but 6'5", he has a completeness to his game where he can get your points, he can make the assist, he's got to learn how to lead, he's got to learn how to slow down on offense and, and be a defender on the ball like Suggs was, and Suggs was incredible, but 
you know, can he guard ball screens? Can he keep the ball out of the lane? Freshmen struggle with that, but yeah. really talented. And I'll tell you what, a team approach guy. And Chet is a team approach guy too. That's what Gonzaga does a little bit different. They go after these five stars that really are about the team. Right. I mean, you know, they, they know they're talented. They know they're five stars. I talked to Chet just the other day. And, you know, the four state championships mean a lot to him. <laughs> and he won every award that you could possibly think of this year. He won the Morgan Wooten McDonald's Player of the Year, the Nate Smith Player of the Year, uh, Mr. Basketball in Minnesota. He wanted that state championship. That's what he wanted. Yeah. Paul Biancardi is our guest, a ESPN analyst. How has Tennessee jumped up so far, all the way up to the top five, number two in, in some of the recruiting rankings? Well, they, they went out and got some great players to surround Kennedy Chandler. Uh, and speaking of Gonzaga, when our rankings come out, uh, actually tomorrow, guys, Wednesday, our player rankings, our final top 100, and our class rankings. So I think you'll see the Zag somewhere in the top five in, in class rankings for sure. Uh, in Tennessee, as you mentioned, uh, they'll be in the top five as well. You know, Kennedy Chandler was, was the big fish. The most important position on the court, they got the best point guard in the game. Wow. And then they and then they surrounded him, you know, with Jonas Adu and Brandon Huntley Hatfield reclassified. Now those guys to me are more potential than production right now, but they're coming along in terms of productivity. Right. I think you'll see I think you'll see Adu and Hatfield have some really strong games, and then some games maybe it's foul trouble, maybe that they're, they're not catching on to what's going on at, at, at the college level scouting reports. So I, I can see them as normal freshmen going up and down, but they're not normal in terms of talent. They're, they're five-star talent. So if they were to stay at Tennessee for four years, I mean, they would be lottery picks, no doubt about it. That's that's how I project five-star guys. If they if they leave earlier uh, because they're developed or because they want to, we don't know why guys leave, but they're enormously talented. Uh, Huntley Hadfield, a power forward who can really stretch it. He can shoot it and he can drive it. He's really talented. Like, he's extremely talented. But I've told him before, too, he's got to play hard. He doesn't play hard all the time. And you're going to Rick Barnes. The rubber's going to rubber's gonna meet the road. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I got Coach Barnes's Texas shirt on from when my daughter went there years ago. I mean, <laughs> and, and I coached against him when he was at Providence. Yeah. It's, it's defense and it's intensity first, and then we'll, we'll put you on the court on offense. And when you play defense for Rick Barnes and you play it his way, yep. you, you just you elevate your game. And then the offensive part just comes natural for these guys. And Jonas Adu could be one of the best shot blockers uh, in the SEC, if not his first year, but second year. But wow. they got to learn how to work. You know, they got to learn how to push themselves and, 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 and go a little bit longer and harder than they're used to going. And, and then the kid Meshack, Jemai Meshack uh, from California, I think he's – likes stud. him. I, he's a stud defender. Like, yeah. I mean, he looks like an elite track and field runner or, or a, you know, somewhere on the football field. I don't know where. Maybe a, I'd put him maybe on the outside linebacker. He's got mm -hmm. great speed. Cut. Uh, yeah. he's, got, he's cut, yeah. And he just – he wants to defend. So yeah. he's the guy who's going to plug and play right away for Rick Barnes. And, and I, so I, I love this class because it's a mixture of really high-end talent. And then some guys are going to come in right away. But Kennedy Chandler, guys, I mean, you're going to see Tennessee play with a faster pace. I don't know what their average possession was last year in terms of um, shot clock, 
and, and they won't play faster and, and, and crazy. They're just going to play faster yeah. and I think a little bit more efficient. If you run with Kennedy, he's going to get you. Yeah. And if you, you know, he'll throw it up lobs or he'll kick it out to the three, whatever coach wants to, you know, run on the break. But Kennedy's going to make Tennessee run. He's going to help their fast break points. Big, big key right here. That's he has, he's improved his jump shot though. Like he was a guy that you would play for the drive and for the pass. Right. Now, now Kennedy Chandler is making legitimate high school threes, legitimate. Right. So you can't, you can't leave him open. He'll, he'll bang out two or three in a game. Uh, he made a huge improvement during uh, COVID and, and quarantine in the gym. Right. So, and he thinks the game, he's competitive, still has to learn how to run a team at the highest level. But, boy, I'm excited to see him at Tennessee. I really am. Is, is he a guy, Paul, that, that in the half court can penetrate and dish and, and get them better shots than maybe they got without, without such a, a player this year? Yes, he's, that's what he is. He yeah. started out his career as a guy, you know, he would set the table. He would drive, lob, drive, yeah. kick. Yeah. He would always find somebody else from his dribble penetration. He, he's excellent at creating for others. And right. he's tremendous at finding them. Like, Chris, he can make a, a really touch pass in close. You know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't get into traffic and then just lose the ball. Right. So when he gets in tight, he's got the floater. He's got the drop off. He's got the kick out. And so he can score it or create for others. And he makes really good decisions. He's a, he's a wonderful point guard. And I'll tell you what, he's really good at steals, anticipation. Uh, I think he, I think all players got to get better on the ball. Uh, he's going to learn how to get over ball screens because guys are going to put his, his behind in ball screens and make him work <laughs> defensively, right? If, if I'm playing against Kenny Chandler, I'm going to make him work on the defensive end. So he's got to learn how to be a defender, but, not many better than Rick Barnes in teaching defense. That's for sure. Paul, one more before we let you go. Uh, you're, you're saying earlier, talking about wearing your, your Longhorns T-shirt there. What do you think about Texas <laughs> uh, being able to, to get Chris Beard to, to come back to his alma mater and, and Shaka Smart after he uh, left to Marquette? Yeah, you know, one of the guys I don't know that well in the profession is Chris Beard. You know, like I have a longstanding relationship with Rick Barnes. I have a longstanding relationship with Shaka Smart. I don't know Coach Beard at all. But I'll tell you what, when Indiana was open in Texas, all these schools, Arizona, Chris Beard to me is the number one hire in the country. If I was an athletic director, um, I would have took him, you know, I would have tried to get him at Indiana. Texas did, you know, Arizona, if they knew they were opening, I would have went after him. That, that guy wins, coaches both ends of the ball really well. He has a style, he has a system, and, and it seems to be highly successful. So, but for him to go back to Texas, where he was, I think as a player mm-hmm. uh, under Tom Penders, I think was a fabulous fit. And Shaka from Wisconsin originally, so you're going back to one of the two best programs in the state. You got Wisconsin and Marquette, uh, where the guy I used to work for, Chris knows pretty well, Rick Majerus. Oh yeah, uh, was an assistant with Al McGuire. So, I think Shaka will do fabulous at Marquette. I think Texas was a different animal for him. I think it, it's a different animal for anybody who hasn't been there before. There's certain jobs, if you've never been in that state or in that program, the North Carolinas of the world, yep. um, you have to be really, really at the highest level good at what you do. And, uh, you know, Shaka was great coming off of VCU, but uh, Texas, different place. But I think they got the right guy, and I think Marquette absolutely got the right guy. Our guest is Paul Biancardi, the ESPN analyst. Chris, you have one more? 
Chris, you on mute? I wanted, to squeeze, I wanted to squeeze in one more if I could. What do you think the impact of the one-time freebie transfer rule will be? I, it seems like it's been a long time coming because 19 sports used it and five didn't. Um, do you see it becoming the wild, wild west now, or will it taper off after this unusual COVID year where you got super seniors and guys just entering the portal just to see what happens? And that's a great point, Chris. People don't realize that a lot of the non-revenue sports, most of them, all of them, could transfer and play right away. Women's soccer, right? You know, tennis, all of them. But nobody, we never heard a word about it until basketball and football decided to do it. I like the rule for the kids. I I think any kid should have the right to transfer easy. You know, when I was coaching, they had to come into the office. They had to sit down and tell you they're leaving. Then you go to compliance, got to fill out forms. The athletic director always says, you know, why don't you wait and see, you know, give it some time. Coaches weren't quick to release kids. The portal eliminates all that. You you click a button and and everybody knows at the university that you're in the portal. In fact, the whole country knows you're in the portal. Mm -hmm. You can text your coach now and just tell them you can text compliance. So it's a real simple way for the student athlete and it should be. They shouldn't feel any shame or guilt to leave or any pressure to stay. I love that. What I do like is the NCAA transfer committee put a guideline on it. I, I've been saying for a long time, it was going to be the wild, wild west. Guys just leaving. And if it goes into May and June and July, and now you can transfer. Basically, every conference is going to allow guys to transfer within the conference. I know the ACC, they're allowing guys to transfer in conference and play right away. I think the SEC is going to do it as well. I think all conferences are going to feel um, that they have to do it, and they should do it. Now they got an end de- deadline. So it's July 1st. So by July 1st, everybody will know who's transferring. Starting next year, it's going to be May 1st, which is better. I-, I think the players in a program. So if you and I are on the same team, I need to know, you know, I think you're coming back. If you decide to leave, that's great. But I need to know kind of an end date. And then May 1st is going to be the end date. Right. So I can stay or I can go. We-, we can't have people just in June and July and August saying, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm leaving Tennessee, I'm going to go to Kentucky. That, that's the wild, wild west. Yes. Uh, and we have some chaos right now because COVID is, is you know, allowing um, seniors to come back uh, for another year of eligibility, which is a great, great move. But between seniors coming back, transfers playing right away, junior college kids, prep school kids, high school kids looking for scholarships, we have way more prospects on the board than we do scholarships. So there's a huge traffic jam, and, and right now the the high school player, the good high school player, is not getting recruited with the pace and intensity. I mean the class of 2021 that they have in the past. Uh, so they're kind of stuck right now trying to figure out where to go and what to do. The college coaches all want transfers because they're older, they're battle-tested, they've been coached at this level before, uh, and they feel like, hey, if I get you on a transfer – this is your one-time transfer. You can play. You probably won't transfer again. And, and that, that philosophy is true, but there's some really good high school players out there, and uh, those players may not end up going to the level that they want to or they think they should play, but hopefully some of the low and mid-majors will pick up on, on some of the talent that's out there. We know where to go when we want to talk about uh, college hoops and personnel and coaching and all those things. Uh, Paul Biancardi, thanks so much for the time. We always appreciate it. Oh, thank you, guys. Thanks, brother. We really appreciate it.
That was Paul Biancardi, the ESPN analyst. He is an expert when it comes to recruiting and the transfer portal, coaching moves, all those things. Really knows his stuff. And as Chris said, uh, he's good at calling games. He's good at writing and uh, doing studio analysis. Uh, Really an expert with ESPN. Uh, Appreciate his time joining us here for a few minutes on our podcast. Chris, uh, a couple things as we finish up. I want to wish the best to Bob Valvano, Radio host, he's, he's done color commentary on Louisville basketball games for many years, but announcing yesterday on Twitter that he has leukemia, has an aneurysm on his aorta, also has some kidney damage. So uh, all, all the best to Bob. I, I, I want to say I've crossed paths with him maybe once or twice, and he seems like just a, a, a great guy. Of course, Jim's brother, and uh, we just want to wish him the best and uh, a speedy recovery. Yeah, I've gotten to know him through Blue Ribbon, um, and I've been on his show a few times in Kentucky, and sat next to him during games, NCAA games. And he's a good guy, personal, like, like his brother Jim was. And I hate to hear all that, but uh, I, I think if, if anybody can, can tackle that triumvirate of, of terror there, all three of those things that, he, that he's afflicted with now, I think it's him. On a more positive and, and happy note to finish up, let's talk about Davidson alum and NBA I mean, he's already an NBA legend. Steph Curry, we don't talk much NBA. We're more college-oriented, but uh, this this ties in and something we can both appreciate. His streak of three-point shooting has been off the charts, including 10 threes and 49 points in Golden State's 107-96 win at Philadelphia on Monday. That's 11 straight games with 30 or more points. His fifth 40-point game of April over a stretch of four games in the past week, he's averaged 43 points and 54% from three-point land. I used to wonder if he was the greatest shooter of all time. I don't wonder anymore. To me, I know it's maybe people will say, well, it's a recency bias. It's not recency biased. He's the greatest shooter of all time. No, I, I and, and that, that term recency bias is a good one. But just to, to kind of prove what you just said, Steph has got six games of 10 or more threes this season. No other player has more than five in their career. Steph has 21, and this all reminds me of when I first saw Steph Curry in the Southern Conference when Davidson was still a member, and I was lucky. I I got to see him as a collegian five or six times, and the last time, it it was really funny. I I live in Chattanooga, and as you know, teach at University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, and he, Davidson was playing, and, and he was a junior, and for whatever reason, the people of this city and, and around the region knew that Steph was gone. You know, this was going to be his last year. And this is a school that averages, I don't know what they average, but it's usually around 3,000 or less. There are 9,000 people <laughs> in, in UTC's arena to, to see him. And I'll never forget that. People knew that he was special. Now, did I think he was going to be that special? Heck no. no. Nobody expects. But but you could tell from minute one watching that kid play and, and how he was so overlooked, even by his own father's alma mater, Virginia Tech, which wanted him yep. to be a preferred walk-on or go to a prep school. He was just special. You know, the way he looks ahead, uh, always looking ahead like, a, like he's playing chess and what a great jump shooter he was. And then, of course, he's, he's perfected the workout and, and has just got an off-the-charts workout. So 
yeah, just seeing him in college, you knew he was special. For him to do this at age 33, uh, he's evolved in, in, into the best. He's the GOAT of shooters. Uh, there's no, no question. And I'm just really happy that I got to see that kid uh, before he was staff, you know. Uh, it, just amazing. And it's not often you can say this about a player, but to me he's, he's changed basketball. Uh, just yes. in terms of, of how how far out people shoot jumpers, for one thing. I mean, you didn't see – you didn't used to see all these people shooting 25, 30-footers in college, and now you see it every single game. And, uh, and by all accounts, they're just a great family. Uh, Seth – Steph and his brother Seth, who's a, who's a really good shooter and NBA player in his own right. And, uh, yep. of course – the, the mother and father, you know, Dell played at, at Virginia Tech. I remember seeing him play back in the day. But by all accounts, they're, they're just great people. And uh, my friend Ian Clark, who played at Belmont, got to spend a couple years uh, playing with with That's Steph right. with Steph Curry with Golden State, and what was really kind of his, his backup. You know, whenever you know Steph would go out for some rest, Ian would come in and you know and and fill that role. And uh, I, it was it was neat to see them kind of strike up that friendship, and and it seems to continue now. Uh, Ian's playing overseas, and of course Steph is still doing his thing with the Warriors. But I, I just thought that was really interesting. You and I were talking about that before we went on. Just his, his remarkable streak of, of three point shooting and scoring. Just one of the all time greats uh, in basketball history, Steph Curry. That will do it for our show, Chris. Uh, always a lot of fun. We appreciate our guest Paul Biancardi, and uh, we'll do it again next time. Always a lot of news to get to, whether it's the the regular season, the postseason, or, or the off season. Uh, we try to bring you some good stuff here on our podcast. Yeah, we'll do it every two weeks in the off season, and then once we get back to to the games, we'll once a week. So I look forward to it, buddy. Sounds good. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast.